is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. This is astounding. The wholesale inflation rate for the month of September is eight point six percent compared with twelve months ago. That's the largest increase since the twelve month. Uh, since the 12-month collection, the 12-months comparison, I should say, was first calculated in 2010. 8.6%. Now, clearly, that's going to affect retail rates and affect you. And so what's happening here is because of the prolonged period of time to get goods and materials... The price increases are being built into the prices that you're paying, as well as the supply and demand issue, that there's not enough supply for the demand, as well as the trillions of dollars that have already been voted on, already passed, with way too many paper dollars chasing too few goods. All three of these elements are putting pressure on inflation. And inflation is here. It's going to be here for a while. I believe we're headed for a recession. I believe, in fact, we're at the beginning of a recession. And what you're going to see is stagflation, similar to what existed in the 1970s. Now, what do I mean by stagflation? You're going to start to see the unemployment rate go up. You're going to start to see inflation go higher than it is even now. And you're going to see short, the, uh, the cost of products continue to go up. Inflation goes up. The cost of products go up. And joblessness goes up. 
the value of the currency, we've talked about this for a long time, the value of the dollar goes down. So if you're lucky enough to have a job, what you're going to find is you can buy less if you can get it. I went into the supermarket around here this morning just to take a walk through there and see what was happening. Once again, there's a run on toilet paper. The big packages of toilet paper. There was a run on water. So these things are starting to happen. People are panicking. I get it. I get it. Gas prices are now at a seven-year high, and they're rising. And they're rising because not of those, those freighters offshore. It's because of what Joe Biden did the first day he walked into office. Canceled the Keystone Pipeline. That sent shivers through the entire pipeline industry. That sent shivers through the entire oil industry. He banned production, oil production, on federal land. The federal government controls about 30%, almost 30% of the land in this country, much of the wilderness. He reversed Trump on the, on the, uh, on the, on the Alaska drilling. And so that's been shut down. That is, any new drilling. And so... When you're at war with the energy industry, research and development stops, capital investment stops, rigs stop producing, and I gave you those figures the other evening, that less than half of the rigs that were in production when Joe Biden took over are in production right now. We're now a net importer of oil, where we were a net exporter of oil, Ten months ago, we had actually achieved, as I've said before, energy independence. Now, the price for a gallon of gasoline, even regular, averages across the country about $3.60. The price for premium, and some cars require premium, averages across the United States almost $5 a gallon. Almost $5 a gallon. They can't blame the freighters for that. That's Biden policy. That's John Kerry policy. That's AOC policy. That's the Democrat Party. We're going to move to electricity. Well, how do you get electricity? Hydroelectric plants. They don't believe in building any more hydroelectric plants. Okay, coal. They don't believe in coal. Okay, natural gas. They don't believe in natural gas. Well, how do you create electricity? Solar doesn't create electricity. It's certainly not enough. So they have hundreds of billions of dollars in the pipeline they want to spend for electric vehicles, the government, electric vehicles, electric school buses. You're going to plug them in. Where are you going to get the electricity? Ask the people of California who have brownouts and blackouts. And that's coming next. And that's coming next. When you have an administration that embraces a third world economic system as opposed to the greatest economic system on the face of the earth. There's not a single policy this administration has proposed. There's not a single, single policy in the trillions more they want to spend.
trillions more they want to spend. That is pro-growth. And notice, they don't reverse course. Joe Biden could reverse course on fossil fuels, but he won't. Because this isn't about economics. We've talked about this. This is about ideology. This is about ideology. I even explain it in the American Marxism. This is about ideology. It's not about how human nature works. It's not about how economic systems work. It's not about the nature of man. No. This is an ideological you know, view that is imposed on the nation, whether we like it or not. When you have the price of fuel rising so fast, it affects every aspect of this economy. Every aspect, in a highly negative way. They've already said that home heating oil, this winter is going to be up 54%. It's going to cost you more than half above what you paid last year to heat your homes. What are they going to do, blame the virus? It's nothing to do with the virus. Nothing to do with the virus. Now with this issue about gasoline prices, just the news points out, the Democrats, three and a half, five, two trillion, whatever it is, it doesn't matter at this point, reconciliation bill includes an estimated $6 billion worth of charges on U.S. oil and gas operators on federal lands. A further disincentive, because they're at war with fossil fuels. And there isn't enough oil and gas supply to meet U.S. demand, due to a combination of factors, including the Biden administration halting new leases on federal land, halting the Keystone Pipeline, increasing regulatory burdens, and other measures that will take years to correct. Years to correct. Biden also eliminated low-cost Canadian cruel from being processed by mid-continent and Gulf Coast and U.S. refiners. So he has severely hampered domestic production. We would have ample supply of oil and gas, and commensurately, as they point out, just the news, lower costs at the pump, but for what Joe Biden did. But for what AOC demands and Bernie Sanders demands. Another proposal that they've put in place here is the length of the lease where oil companies are free to lease or have leased from 10 years to 5 years, making the lease nearly moot. Nobody is going to invest the amount of money, the amount of money necessary to search and explore for fossil fuels, for oil and natural gas, on a five-year lease. So intentionally what they did there is try to prevent any drilling whatsoever on federal leases. And they succeeded. Now this past week, the U.S. benchmark for crude oil, it's called the West Texas Index, surpassed $81 a barrel. Another measure, the Brent crude topped $84 a barrel. The price of crude oil accounts for roughly 67% of the per gallon gas price. At this time last year, it was $45 a barrel. So it's almost doubled. Almost doubled. We had almost the lowest 
in industry history last year, and now it is shot up. These are government policies. In California, of course, the price for a gallon of gasoline is higher than anywhere else in the country. Higher than anywhere else in the country. Regular is about $4.50 a gallon right now. And uh, even though these prices are astronomical, they're going higher. They're going higher because the administration is not reversing policy. And even if they reverse policy today, it's too late for a good 10 to 12 month period. You just can't snap your fingers and all of a sudden rigs show up and there's exploration and so forth. It's been a disaster. And now what is the White House doing? As they point out at Breitbart, they're begging oil companies for cheaper fuel. Days after Joe Biden boasted about suspending drilling, the White House confirmed they're speaking with oil and gas producers in the United States about reducing rising energy prices. Just days after Biden boasted about suspending drilling in Alaska. Biden, during a White House event on national monuments, had suspended oil and gas drilling on federal lands in Alaska. In June, Biden suspended oil leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge after President Trump opened the area up to drilling in 2017. And as I said, he already halted new, new oil and gas leasing and drilling permits on federal lands in January. And so, of course, the price of crude oil has skyrocketed. They don't want you to understand that this is Joe Biden, American Marxist policy. That's why the price of fuel is skyrocketing. It has nothing to do with freighters, and container ships, or anything of the sort. It has everything to do with the dismantling of our domestic energy system. A self-inflicted wound by the moron who sits in the Oval Office and the Marxist with whom he surrounds himself. Remember what I say, this is a degrowth movement. And degrowth is what's happening. Degrowth is what's happening. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. September hit $45,000. 
According to Fox Business, new vehicle sales continue to decline. Sell prices keep going up. They're down 13% from the same period last year. Uh, The record high prices in September mostly result of the mix of vehicles sold. Mid-sized SUV sales jumped in September compared with August. The full-size pickup share moved up as well. Um, See, what's happening here, folks, is that the price of all products, absolute necessities, and other products are going up, and they're going up fast, and they're going up big. This is why, by the way, I tell you, if you want to refinance or you're getting a mortgage, now's the time to do it. Because the Federal Reserve has kept those numbers uh, low. And those numbers are going to go up. They've kept those rates low, and those rates are going up. They can't keep their foot on the gas pedal, excuse me, on the, uh, on the brake forever. And they're not going to. I've seen this before. I saw this during the the, uh, Carter years into the early Reagan years when Reagan had to wrestle this to the ground. It was extraordinarily painful for the American people the first two years of the Reagan administration. And yet he stuck to it because he was a man of, uh, of guts and knowledge and principle. He stuck to it. He and Volcker, and they finally wiped out the stagflation and inflation, but this is going to be more difficult because it's not the end of the Biden administration, it's the beginning of the Biden administration. And I suspect this is going to be a worse economic downturn than even in the 1970s. You have a Democrat party that is so committed to further increasing inflation, they shouldn't be spending another trillion dollars, let alone another two or three trillion dollars, they shouldn't be sucking money out of the private sector with confiscatory taxes that, makes a, that make us uncompetitive with our foreign uh, uh, allies and our enemies, too, like communist China. And yet this is what they plan to do. It's a disaster. Exactly the wrong people are in charge. Automobiles, the cost of automobiles now are significantly higher on average than they were just a year ago. More when I return. Mark Levin, radio's principal patriot. Call in now at 877-381-3811. The question is being asked. Here we are in the middle of October. This... This entire issue of inflation, the supply chain, shortages, it's not new. It started up months ago. It started up months ago in the automobile industry. The price of fuel has been rising. The price of food slowly but surely has been increasing in clothing and, and you name it. So the question is, why did the Biden administration wait so long to do anything? To do anything. It seems like in the last few days, all of a sudden, they've ramped up. And they haven't ramped up all that much either. They haven't ramped up all that much. The 24-7 offloading of these containers, 24-7. Why did they wait until now? Because the Teamsters, in part, their union, 
didn't want to do it. We have these so-called progressives, a.k.a. Marxists, who run California, and they're trying to push independent operators out of business. You look at this, this phony bill that they want to push, there's all kinds of programs in there, spending programs, but only if you're a union shop. Now, I'm not opposed to unions. What I am opposed to is uh, the, the opposition to competition. And there isn't a fair playing field. That's what I'm opposed to. And so people are going to suffer. And more small businesses are going to go out of business. And on top of that, you have these mandates for people who are not vaccinated, many of whom have natural immunity and have the antibodies, and therefore, as a matter of science, don't need to be vaccinated. But they're not differentiating between those individuals and others. At all. And now they're trying to say that little kids, five years old and up, get ready states to vaccinate them too. The science doesn't support that in the least. Not in the least. Now, what is the outcome here? Well, here's an example. CEO of MGA Entertainment toy maker, Isaac Larian was on Fox today. Here's what he had to say. Go. With all due respect to President Biden, what he just ordered is too little, too late. It's only 72 days left to Christmas. And whether the ports are open 24 hours a day or 48 hours a day, you cannot get labor. If you cannot get labor, you cannot get trucks, you cannot get those merchandise out. And even if you get them out, It's going to be too late for Christmas. So I'm just going to show you one item. This this here LOL Surprise movie Magic will be the number one toy this holiday. We can only get about 60% of the product demand out to stores, 60%. That means a lot of kids are not going to be able to get LOL movie magic surprise under the Christmas tree or Hanukkah tree this year. So I think I think this uh, this directive is too little, too late, and frankly, it's a political uh, uh, gimmick. A political gimmick. Furthermore, ladies and gentlemen, the Democrats insisted on extending unemployment insurance and adding federal dollars to the state unemployment checks. Extending them and increasing the amount of money. And there were people all over the country, small businesses all over the country, making the point that you're going to pay people more money not to work than you are to work. We can't compete against the federal government when it comes to these salaries. Furthermore, people will take more money and not go to work. And you remember the difficulty coming out of this pandemic that restaurants had, that grocery stores had, that, that everybody was having. Finding the labor, finding the employees to fill the slots. Well, this has gone on, ladies and gentlemen, up to and including the beginning of this month. This month. And so now you have individuals who are out of the workforce. 
who are out of the workforce. The workforce participation rate dropped by about 4 million. That's the reason the unemployment number went down. Only 195,000 people were newly employed last month. 195,000. You know what that comes to, Mr. Producer? 4,000 a state. Put it in practical terms. 4,000 people newly hired per state if you just divide it by 50. That's nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so what the Democrats want to do in their proposals is expand the welfare state. Expand the welfare state. Free K through, uh, free, free uh, uh, child care. Free family leave. Expand Medicare while Medicare is going broke. Free uh, community college. Wipe out the debt for people who took student loans. Uh, Redistribution of wealth. Massive increases in taxes. On any individual, any family, any small business that makes over $400,000 a year. Almost every small business grosses over $400,000 a year. This is absolutely shocking. So there's more to come should they succeed in imposing their will 50-50 in the Senate, a three-vote majority in the House, the smallest, the thinnest of majorities. that We haven't seen anything like this in a century. They think they have a supermajority. They are destroying our economic system. They are destroying the economy. They are destroying your jobs and your pay scales and your currency. When you destroy a currency, you destroy everything. People on pensions. People on pensions. Their pensions become worth less. Your savings accounts. Your money becomes worth less. You can't buy what you used to be able to buy, even if it were available. Because a dollar is not worth a dollar anymore. Maybe it's worth 90 cents. In order to to respond to that, retailers increase the prices. And so you get this cycle. This cycle of decline. When you watch Joe Biden, you see a man who's shuffling around, a man who's not with it, a man who just keeps thinking of his legacy. You see a man who is the plaything of the the radical Marxists with whom he's surrounded himself. The people who are really running this government, you don't hear their names. Susan Rice, Ron Klain, although he blew it today. We'll mention that in passing later since it's been... Well, I'll mention it now. Ron Klain retweets a tweet in which the tweet says... That all this economic dislocation that you see, that you're experiencing, whether it's toilet paper or automobiles or the price of food or whatever it is, that's really for the high classes, the high class people. It doesn't really affect anybody else. Now this is incredible, folks. This is absolutely incredible. 
The people who are affected most are you. The middle class, lower middle class. Even the poor aren't as affected as the middle class and the lower middle class, given food stamps and all the other benefits. This is a war on the middle class. I've told you this many times. Oh, they'll tax the hell out of the rich and so forth, but in the end, it's about you. They can't achieve what they want to achieve, the destruction of our economic system, pulling it down and destroying it like they do monuments, like they do free speech, like they have our classrooms. They reject the Industrial Revolution and all the benefit that's come from it. In the past, I've said to you, you go into a supermarket, row after row after row of food, food from all over the world, different types of food, 80% fat, ground beef, 95% fat-free ground beef, you know, that sort of thing, all kinds of cuts of meat, shrimp, popcorn shrimp, large shrimp, cooked shrimp, frozen shrimp. You go into these stores, 40 different types of bread, right? 500 different types of wine, 100 different types of beer, seltzer water. It's absolutely fantastic. You go into these stores, potato chips with vinegar, with salt, with sea salt, ruffled, not ruffled. Look at the yogurt. The butter, the ice cream. Look at all the choices we have. As of tonight, you have less choices. You have fewer choices. Look at the toilet paper, double ply, triple ply. Wow. There's less of it tonight as I speak to you. Capitalism is what filled those shelves. You did. Marxism is what will empty those shelves. It's been tried, and every time it's been tried, the result is suffering and impoverishment. Suffering and impoverishment. When you hear these people talk about centralizing economic decisions, massive tax increases, maybe not even for you, for other people, redistribution of wealth, it creates supply chain problems, production problems, pricing problems, Labor problems. Because none of that is in the calculation of the ideologues. Only the people on the ground who do this work, who hire people, who make the food, who harvest the fields, only they can know how to do what they do. Not people from Chuck Schumer's district or people from Nancy Pelosi's district and so forth and so on. No. There aren't many uh, oil rigs in Manhattan. Union Square. Aren't many farms in those at locations. Aren't many... Aren't aren't much production, quite frankly. This isn't a put-down, it's reality. So when you have politicians who have absolutely no private sector experience, Pelosi, Schumer, Biden, Harris, on and on and on, And they represent areas of the country that are not in the production phase of the economic system. That's not to say people aren't working hard in the economic system. They're not in the production phase. 
the fossil fuels, the foods, and so forth. Their decisions are ideological. When you centralize decisions in the government, the decisions are ideological. They're not economic. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. what's occurred in Afghanistan and we still have American citizens there we don't know what's happening to them the administration doesn't tell us it's as if they don't exist anymore we still have tens of thousands of patriotic Afghans over there who fought with us administration doesn't tell us what's happening with them obviously they're not getting people out or they'd be you know uh, celebrating their brilliance when you look at the southern border the intentional uh, efforts to keep that border open and the influx of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens. When you look at how the coronavirus has been mismanaged under this president, he's had three vaccines and therapeutics, none of which were invented during his presidency, uh, and more people have died on his watch than, uh, than all of last year, than all of last year. And now you see what's happening to the economy. There's a pattern here, and there's two points. Not only is there an issue of incompetence, there's an issue of ideology. The ideology is an incompetent ideology. The ideology is an impossibility. And so everything they touch is a disaster. And as a footnote, with Iran, they intend to lift all sanctions against Iran. Iran's as close as ever to having nuclear weapons. And Israel may have to attack Iran on its own now. So you have Afghanistan, you have the open borders, you have the virus, you have, in my view, a recession now, which will lead to stagflation, a disaster. There's going to be other things breaking open, what you see as I'm talking about Iran and so forth. Nothing's going well. Nothing this administration does is going well. And now they have their, their eyes set on the Supreme Court. Nothing's going well. And so this is, uh, this is quite crucial to understand what's taking place. To understand that everything this president and his administration have touched have gone south, have gone absolutely sour, to say the least. Disasters. Disasters. When you put a man in office who is not mentally competent to be president of the United States, and yet is ideologically driven for a legacy. And he surrounds himself with individuals clearly not chosen by him, who are as radical as possible. This is what you get. I fear what's happening to this country. I fear what's going to happen with communist China and Taiwan. I fear what's going to happen with Israel and Iran. I fear three more years of open borders and the consequences for town after town and city after city in this country. I fear what's going to happen to our economy under a president and an administration and a Democrat party that rejects capitalism. How are you going to redistribute wealth if you don't create wealth? How are you going to redistribute wealth if you don't create wealth? This is the problem the American Marxists and the Democrat Party have. 
They don't know how to create wealth, or they reject the creation of wealth while they're busy redistributing it. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I want to tell you a little story that I haven't seen covered anywhere, at least not on television. And uh, this is from foxnews.com. Federal judge finds D.C. jail warden in contempt demands the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division probe January 6 detainees. I hope uh, Philly Bump is listening over there at the Washington Compost. Remember him, Mr. Producer? He was very upset that I was talking to Julie Kelly and would comment often about the treatment of the, of the individuals that had been rounded up with SWAT teams and so forth, and brought to a Washington, D.C. jail. Now we're around 630 of them, some of whom held in solitary confinement, some of whom weren't getting the medical care that they needed, some of whom weren't able to speak to their families for a period of time, some of whom were fed crap for meals. Philly Bump never went to the jail to try and find out what was going on. Over there at the Washington Compost, same way with the New York Slimes. They're not much interested. But I am. A federal judge has found the warden of a D.C. jail and the director of the D.C. Department of Corrections in contempt of court yesterday and called for an investigation by the Department of Justice to determine whether the jail has violated the civil rights of January 6th defendants. For the reasons stated in open court, it is adjudicated that the warden of the D.C. jail, Wanda Patton, and director of the D.C. Department of Corrections, Quincy Booth, are in civil contempt of court. U.S. District Judge Royce C. Lamberth of Washington ruled on Wednesday. The clerk of the court is ordered to transmit a copy of this order to the Attorney General of the United States for appropriate inquiry into potential civil rights violations of January 6th defendants as exemplified in this case. I find that the civil rights of the defendant have been abused, Lamberth said at the hearing. I don't know if it's because he's a January 6th defendant or not, but I find this matter should be referred to the Attorney General of the United States for a civil rights investigation into whether the D.C. Department of Corrections is violating the civil rights of January 6th defendants in this and maybe other cases. Christopher Warwell, the defendant in the specific case, who's being charged with several felonies related to the January 6th riot, is being treated for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and has contracted the coronavirus while in jail. Now, he broke his hand in jail in May and was recommended to have surgery in June. But in August, his lawyers say jail officials have not addressed the injury and have only provided Tylenol, 
and other anti-inflammatories. So he breaks his hand in May in jail. And it's October. And he hasn't received the surgery. The judge's ruling in Warwell's case comes after he found there was more than an inexcusable delay of jail officials turning over medical documents. After the judge learned last week that the surgery still had not happened, he ordered the jail system to turn over notes to the U.S. Marshals Service because Warrell is a federal inmate housed in the local jail so the Marshals Service could move forward and approve the medical procedure. But on this Tuesday, two days ago, the jail still had not sent the records and the judge ordered the city jail officials to appear in court for a contempt hearing. So this poor guy's hand has been broken since May. And in June, they said he needed surgery. And it's the middle of October. The lawyer for the jail had argued that they'd been working to get the records together to comply with the court's order before the contempt hearing was set. He needed an operation. He hasn't gotten it, Judge Lambert said. The judge had separately chastised city officials for cutting down the number of rooms in the jail for virtual court visits. In other words, making it difficult for families virtually to see their family members in jail. And for sending an inmate to his court a few weeks ago when they did not have the results of a coronavirus test saying the incompetence of jail officials led to the prisoner being sent back and forth from court without ever appearing before the judge. A federal law known as the Civil Rights of Institutionalized Persons Act, commonly called CRIPA, allows prosecutors to review conditions of jails, prisons, and other government-run facilities to identify if there is a systemic pattern of abuse or civil rights violations. There is a systemic pattern. There is a systemic pattern. These people are being treated much differently than other prisoners. 630 of them charged. 630 people riding, carrying BLM flags. They haven't been charged. 630 people riding, wearing the Antifa all-black you know, outfit. They haven't been charged. 630? And now I want Philip Bump at the Washington Compost to look into this. Of course he won't. He's a fraud and a phony and a freak. Of course he won't. But Julie Kelly's been writing about this in the American Greatness site over and over and over again. And she's talked to a number of these inmates and she's talked to a number of their families. That's more than the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, and MSNBC have done. Or really any reporters for big media, for that matter. Now let's see if Merrick Garland's going to do anything about this. You know, he's busy chasing down parents at school board meetings in Virginia and all over the country, for that matter. All over the country, for that matter. Now there's a recent poll by Fox that shows... Uh, Terry McCullough, five points ahead of Glenn Youngkin. Let me just say this. I hear this all the time, and it frustrates the hell out of me. 
that we have this in the bag, that the 2022 off-year elections, midterm elections, are going to be a slaughter and this, that, and the other. I tell you this over and over again. Maybe they will be. But maybe they won't be. Always fight like you're behind. Always fight like you're behind. This is certainly the case in Virginia. Because the Democrat Party cheats, they lie, they have all kinds of dark money to pour into their campaigns. This has now been, been demonstrated over and over again. Terry McAuliffe is a sleazebag. And there's no depth to which he will not sink to try and win that governorship. So you folks in Virginia, whatever party you are, if you're going to vote for, for Yunkin, and you're going to vote for the rest of the ticket, including Winsome Sears, a wonderful candidate, a female African-American candidate, a conservative running for lieutenant governor, and should be in this pro- on this program in the final hour, then go vote early. Make sure your family votes. Make sure your extended family votes. Be the precinct worker in your neighborhood, in your community. Go around, walking your dog or just taking a walk, going out to the mailbox. Ask people who you know will vote the right way to vote and to make sure they vote. Off your elections are turnout elections. There are now more Democrats in the state of Virginia than Republicans. That means more of the Republican base as well as more of the so-called suburban moderates are going to need to turn out and vote for Yunkin if he's going to win. If he's going to win. You can see what a disaster Biden is. You can see what a disaster the surrogates for the Democrat Party, the unions, the school boards, the educational bureaucracy, the superintendents. You see what a disaster they are for the children of the state and all over the country for that matter. They say this is a bellwether case. This particular election in Virginia. I don't know if it's bellwether or not. I don't even know what that means. But I do know this. If you live in Virginia and you don't turn out, the other side wins. If you live in Virginia and you don't get other people to turn out, the other side wins. They've got the teachers unions and they man every single precinct in the state. It's the way it works all over the country. Why do you think the day before the election on the Monday, the schools are closed, and the day of the election, the schools are closed? They called it in-service day. The NEA and the AFT contract for these days off. It's not a coincidence that it's the day before election day and on election day, is it, Mr. Producer? It's so they're free to campaign and to work the polls. That ought to stop, too. We ought to be teaching on election day and teaching the day before election day, not to accommodate the teachers' unions, who are the enemy of the children, the enemy of the parents, and the enemy of the taxpayers. This is a fact that's been demonstrated. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. election before it actually occurred, ladies and gentlemen. Terry McAuliffe. Remember the Democrats 
questioning the 2020 election before it was actually taking place. They talked about a lack of mailboxes. Remember this, Rich? That it was a conspiracy because the head of the postal system was appointed by Trump and there weren't enough mailboxes and they were removing mailboxes. Remember that? Remember they were the ones questioning the machine? What were they? The Dominion machines? Remember they questioned the machines and the press were questioning the machines? Remember all that, folks? Well, Terry McAuliffe was part of that. He was part of that. And the Yunkin team has been running an ad about McAuliffe saying he was very concerned the 2020 election would be rigged. Bill Maher asked him about it. Cut seven, go. Do you think this next election is going to be on the up and up? Oh, I'm very concerned. I mean, I can tell you, in Virginia, when I was governor, I had to replace all the machines. As governor, I got rid of all of our DRE. I remember when I first voted, when I went to Richmond, moved down as governor. I remember I went and voted in 14. I just moved to Richmond. I just got elected governor. I remember I kept voting in the Senate race, kept voting for the Democrat. Republican name kept coming up. I hit the machine for Warner. Gillespie's name lit up. Three times that happened. I did it four times. So then I had an investigation done. So I took the machines and I hired hackers. Listen to this. Listen to this. They were able to hack into our machines from off-site. Off-site. In about five or six minutes. It took them six minutes to hack into our OptiScan machines. And within four minutes, they were able to change a vote. It took another two minutes to change a vote. I decertified all the machines. I was very disturbed by that. It happened to me again the next year. Wow. Is Dominion suing uh, McAuliffe, Mr. Producer? Four billions of dollars? I don't think so. wonder why. I think they should. And so there's Terry McAuliffe. See, the Democrats were the anti-vaxxers a year ago when Donald Trump was president and Operation Warp Speed was involved in creating three vaccines and therapeutics. They were the anti-vaxxers. They were also the, uh, the people questioning the results of the election before the results actually occurred, just in case Trump won. And McAuliffe wasn't alone, questioning the machines, questioning the whole process. And as I said, I remember doing shows on Levin TV and on Fox about the Democrats accusing the Trump administration of purposely removing mailboxes, purposely, and doing other things to suppress the vote. Well, actually, they were the ones who were changing all the laws and all the rest of it. So that's Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe is a sleazebag. Now look, the majority of the people who voted in Virginia eight years ago made him governor. Virginia's only gotten more blue. So I hope Youngkin can break out. I really do. I think it's possible. I really do. He's run a very smart campaign. Now I'd be hitting Biden a lot more but look, who am I? Just a radio host, TV host, an author. But Terry McAuliffe continues to insist that critical race theory is not taught in Virginia schools when in fact it is. Cut 10 on MSNBC today. Go ahead. It's not about me and it's not about the upcoming election. Andrew, this is about who we are as Americans. That's why I'm so offended at what they did last night. It just offends me as, a, as an American, the way they keep running down. You know, Glenn Youngkin talks about critical race theory. You know what? It's not taught in Virginia. 
You know, it's, it's funny. He was asked specifically, what is critical race theory? And he couldn't answer it. And Andrea Mitchell never asked him the question because she's not really interested in uh, pressing Terry McAuliffe. I'm sure they're old buddies. Go ahead. Dog whistle. And I, I, I unite people. I, as you know, I bring everybody together. That's why so many Republicans from endorsement. From the start of his campaign, he he's brings won- everybody together. Terry McAuliffe, the bagman for the Clintons, brings everybody together. He says parents have no role in our public schools and what takes place in our schools. Brings everybody together. CRT is a dog whistle. Well, maybe it's a dog whistle for the Marxists. But they're sure as hell serious about advancing their ideology. And this is going to be the guy who wants to be governor in charge of education in the, in the state of Virginia. Seriously? This guy's really stupid. You want to know the truth. He's a stupid man. He's a truly stupid man. But good Lord, critical race theory is not being taught in our schools. I mean, folks, everybody knows it is. The people teaching it brag about it. They brag about it. So he's a, he's a denier. He's a fact denier. But the truth is the Democrat Party is all in on these Marxist movements. They're all in. They're all in on critical race theory. But they lie about it. Like Joy Reid lied about it day in and day out. That bigot, that homophobe. That's right, I said it. Lied. And they all lie. Till it's too late. Till your kids are poisoned by this stuff. And the genderism movement. You know, it used to be, do what you want in the privacy of your home, the privacy with your doctor. If you want to cut this off or you want to add that on, fine, go for it. It's up to you, so forth. Now it's an entire movement. And you have to accept it. And it affects your kids in sports. And you better keep your mouth shut. Well, no, I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. A lot of people believe in the nuclear family. And they're going to defend the nuclear family. It's like, it's like this degrowth movement, dressed up as a Green New Deal and climate change. If you sit still and you don't say anything, if you're silenced, your life's going to be destroyed. These people are going to destroy your jobs. They're going to destroy your ability to pay for things. They're going to destroy your lifestyle. They're going to impoverish you. You can't just sit still. I'll be right back. On the Mark Levin Show. Call now, 877-381-3811. By the way, a great Life, Liberty, and Levin this coming Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't watch it live, you might want to DVR it. The great Brent Bozell of the Media Research Center, who's always terrific. And you'll see how we delve into uh, the corrupt media and what they've been doing with respect to parents, with respect to school boards, and beyond that. And the great Charles Payne, as we go through what's happening to our economy, what and who's responsible for it, I hope you won't miss it, and of course I'll have a uh, kick-ass monologue. So, I hope you'll watch us, and don't forget, Life, Liberty, and Levin, Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't watch it live, you can DVR. You know, we're up against Sunday night football, and we still 
win the night against CNN and MSNBC combined. That's because of you. Because of you. Let's go to John, Queens, New York, the great WABC. John, how are you, sir? Yeah, Mark, how are you doing? Have a great show. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you. I'm a retired truck driver. I'm 78 years old as of now, but I drove until through the Obama administration and uh, almost through the Trump administration. Wow. When Trump took over, the, the cost of diesel fuel went down. When I was driving during Obama administration, it was almost $5 a gallon. If this diesel fuel goes up during the Biden administration, even if you, first of all, that trucks have been running for 24 hours a day forever. So for him to make that speech was ridiculous. We've had 24 hours, seven day a week operations for years. And, and, and that's not going to help anything. And that's why so this, toy, this toy manufacturer said it's a political gimmick. And yes, you agree. If, if it goes over $5 a gallon or $6 a gallon, the diesel fuel, even if you have union drivers or non-union drivers, mm-hmm. it, it's going it, to ruin our – trucks are the most uh, – I think one of the most important things on the road that people don't realize. What's going to happen if the price goes up like that? Guys cannot keep the, these owner-operators that are out there. You see those 18-wheelers? I drove mm-hmm. an 18-wheeler, but I was a union driver. Mm-hmm. But the uh, most of these trucks with sleepers, you see on a turnpike and all that, they're, mm-hmm. they're all owner-operators, most of them. And some of them are driving by the mile. They don't get paid by the hour. Like a so a lot hour. of them will go under, you're saying? Yes. And also, how about these tolls? The Port Authority of New York, where I live. Oh, my God. The, the Trogsnet Bridge. The Verrazano Bridge. You know, when I retired, five-axle truck was $100 to go across the Verrazano Bridge. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's talk about, about the tolls. Where, where does all the money go with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. I don't even know what it costs now. God knows what a five-axle truck costs now. So I just thought I'd bring it up that I don't see no way out of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds depressing. I had one owner-operator call last night, uh, John, and he's been doing it 32 years. He says uh, he's going to retire. He can't afford to replace his truck. He can't get parts for his truck. Uh, he's basically harassed every damn step of the way, you know, by regulations. What you're talking about, all these fees and everything. Said he's had enough. And the tolls in New York City, Turnpike, Jersey Turnpike, Pennsylvania Turnpike, all these places. I used to go to Maryland. Where you, all, and, I mean, I used to spend $500 a day on fuel. I, used mm-hmm. to say, I was a union driver. I used, to, mm-hmm. I used to feel sorry for my boss. I used to say to myself, how does this man stay in business? He had like 35 tractors. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to stay in business. I really don't know. Well, John, I want to thank you, my friend. Don't hang up. I'm going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Thank you, John. These truckers are so critical. Kathy, Chicago, Illinois, XM Satellite. Kathy, how are you? I'm wonderful, Mr. Levin. It is an honor to speak with you. Thank you thank so much you. for taking my call. Thank you. Um, I am... I'm in Chapter 4 of American Marxism. I'm mm-hmm. actually in, in, in Chicago. I listen to it on tape in my office. So turn several people else on to it, which is great because they're <laughs> all very liberal where I work. I bet. But um, I, love, I love the way it, – it really meant something to me, the way you, you came at the gender issues mm-hmm. in American Marxism because it made me realize something. Um, I grew up – in the 70s, high school in the 80s, Reagan era. When I was 10, 11 years old, I played ball with the boys. I could mm-hmm. hold my own. Mm-hmm. And then puberty hit. 
They got big and strong, and I stayed itty bitty. Right. And it really made me mad. <laughs> Nowadays, they're going to tell that girl that she's a boy trapped in a girl's body mm-hmm. and go take steroids and mutilate yourself. I don't destroy my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, now I'm, I'm an adult woman. I have I have children. I have a husband. I have a nice house. I'm, I would have destroyed everything because at 11 years old, I wanted to throw a temper tantrum because I couldn't hit the ball as far as the boys that I played with the summer before. And you'll notice in that chapter, this is being pushed by the United Nations. It's being pushed by all kinds of radical groups. It's now in our school systems. You have elementary school children learning about this stuff. Elementary school children. It's unbelievable. You know, what are these kids going to do? I mean, we're seeing anger now from these people. Well, let's see, let's see uh, how the Democrats conduct themselves in Virginia. If they're just going to vote party line, which they tend to do, um, not giving a damn what goes on in their schools and all the rest of it. This, they, they slobber. They go to the voting. Slobber. Who's the Democrat? Terry McCullough. Good. Kathy, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks for getting and reading the book. We're going to send you a signed copy as well. Let's keep going. Let's go to Jerry, Passaic, New Jersey. Very nice place. The great WABC. I got your book, and I'm just about through Chapter 6, and I can't wait to get through Chapter 7. Your book is the best one you've written yet. I have pretty much all the other ones except for your two on the dogs and the Supreme Court. Other than that, I have all the rest of them. Thank you. And I tell you, I'm in my 70s now, and it scares the living daylights out of me. I've been through some rough times, but I've never seen anything like this. I have my wife and I have one kid, but we have five grandkids and a sixth one on the way. And I don't know what kind of uh, world is going to be left to them. I agree with you 100%. It's frightening to know what's going to happen because think about this, Jerry. The Reagan years and today, 40 years apart, look what's happened in just 40 years to this country. It's absolutely unbelievable how fast this has occurred, isn't it? It's incredible. It's mind-boggling. Passaic, New Jersey. How's the mall there? Is it still hustling and bustling? Yeah. So, so, I mean, like, uh, I'm self-employed, but I tell you, it's getting harder and harder to get orders to sell marketing programs because people mm-hmm. are so tight for money and promotional products. That's my other, the other part of the industry. Mm-hmm. But it's really scary now because, I, you know, uh, people are holding back, and I don't blame them. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't get angry at them because we're all going through the same garbage with all this, with all this nonsense going on with this, this mindless, evil idiot. It's very frightening. Jerry, thank you. We're going to ship you a book, too. I appreciate you. Let's keep moving. Let's go to Tom Bloomfield, New Jersey, the great WABC. Tom, how are you? Yes, Mr. Levin. Thank you very much for having me on. You bet. And uh, I, I turn companies around for a living, and I got to mm-hmm. hand it to you. You did a great job laying out the supply chain and what oh, the consequences are going to be. Uh, the only thing I would add mm-hmm. is that most people think of the supply chain as a, something that goes from point A to point B, when mm-hmm. in reality it's an intricate web. Every business is related to the other business, 
they may be one or two businesses off, but in our industry, our manufacturing platform, everything is interconnected. So it doesn't take much for the whole thing to collapse. And most of the businesses in America are middle market business, what's uh, referred to as middle market businesses. Mm -hmm. It's not the Amazons of the world. And most of those businesses are either family-owned or privately owned. And if those companies can't get the direct materials they need to operate, things are going to collapse quickly. And, and it's, it's not going to be pretty. And I, I don't think that part of the discussion is being had in serious circles when it comes to the supply chain. Mm -hmm. uh, the gentleman, I think he was from Disney, did a great job laying out in practical terms what we're facing. And it could collapse very quickly. No, the, the, toy, my... the toy manufacturer. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, the toy manufacturer. I'm sorry. The toy All right. So many of my clients are building inventory now, middle market clients, thinly capitalized companies. They're not the big dogs. Uh, and they're building inventory uh, because they have the orders, but if the raw material isn't there and the label isn't, labor isn't there to get the stuff out the door, it's going to come down quick. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be over months. It's going to and be. By the way, while they're sitting around waiting for things to come through the door, the prices go up. That's correct. So it's hard to even price these things. No, you can't. And the other uh, caveat, you know, I'll speak directly to the people that are at home collecting unemployment, thinking they're getting over on everybody or enjoying a vacation. Getting over is too strong a word. I apologize for using that. But well, taking don't. time off. As you mentioned, their money is, A, not going to be able to buy anything because there's not going to be anything on the shelf, and, B, what's on the shelf is going to cost three times more than uh, they should be paying for. So, uh, you know, I just let me close by just saying this. If there are any moderate Democrats out there in Congress, you got to do the right thing. You, you, think the right that you think they should spend a few more trillion and redistribute wealth and massively increase taxes? Of course not. You know, I'm just putting that, that. That hasn't even happened yet. Imagine when that happens, Tom, if it does. Tom, great call. I appreciate it. Don't hang up. We're going to send you a copy of American Marxism. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. A Supreme Court commission that they put together says they see some concerns about expanding the court and they worry about that. But they also think potentially staggering terms with term limits, which may require an amendment to the Constitution, is something that ought to be looked at. Now, Mr. Producer, my very first book was called Men in Black. It was published in 2005, by my calculation, 16 years ago. This was my recommendation. I believe I also recommended it in the Liberty and Tyranny. And so this is something that I have supported. That is term limits for Supreme Court justices and these, these varied terms. Maybe we'll talk about it sometime next week. And we'll look at the pros and cons. And I'm going to rethink the issue myself. We've got a lot more next hour, so I hope you'll stick with us. But in the meantime, 
let's see. Let us go to Zach. Zach, you're, where are you, Zach? You're somewhere in Amish country, Pennsylvania? Uh, not Pennsylvania, Ohio. I actually live Ohio. in Logan County, Ohio. All right. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, the reason I call is, is I have a lot of Amish friends and neighbors around me, mm-hmm. and just the inflation that, that is affecting them, they're now telling me, I, I have a couple of close friends that are Amish that uh, they're actually going to vote for the very first time this year because the the, the Democrat and liberals have, have got it so screwed up that it's they're hard even for ruining them to make. The, the they're even ruining the way of the Amish, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It is crazy. I'm glad they're voting. Thank you, Zach. Let me ship you a copy of the book. American Marxism. Let's go to Lisa Nutley, New Jersey, the great WABC. Lisa, go right ahead. Uh, I was at Costco today, and I spent a dollar sixty on lunch. You got a hot dog and a soda. Your favorite hot dog. You got it. <laughs> uh, how did I know? Uh, I also. But by the way, I that's... can't believe I can't believe it's going to stay at that price forever either. Now. Go right ahead. What happened to Lisa? She dropped off too bad. Sorry, Lisa, you sounded like a great caller. Yeah, I go to Costco once a week, once every other week, get their hot dog, their foot long, maybe it's not a foot, whatever it is, and get a soda. It's the same price every time, like a buck sixty or whatever it is, buck fifty and change. It's been that way for like ten years. But I'm sure it's gonna change because everything Biden touches is screwed up. Just the way it is. Screw it up. And, you know, you look at these warehouse stores, they're really hurting now. You know, you used to go into one of these stores, a Costco or whatever, Walmart, and a BJ's, a Sam's, and you go in there and you get all the grapes you want, 25 pounds of grapes at a time. You know, Mr. Producer, you get in there and you get, you know, 412 pounds of beef. You don't want 400, but you get it anyway. You get like 17 gallons of, uh, of laundry detergent like 14 cents and so forth I'm afraid this is all going to change now I'm afraid this is all going to change now because the Marxist left in this country which has devoured the Democrat party they don't believe in capitalism and all these things are, as a, are a result of our economic system I'm going to prove it to you next hour I'm going to prove it to you I'll be right back Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Now, I said I would prove to you Tom's point from last hour. He called and he said the supply chain is intricate. And it can break down very, very easily. And I agree, and I've been explaining that when you have ideologues, American Marxists in Congress and in the administration who think that they know how to run a business 
and create products and so forth based on their ideological theories and beliefs. It is destructive. In the past, I've played for you a very, very well-known, iconic uh, video, but I play the audio, obviously, of iPencil. And this is a shorter version of iPencil, and you'll see the complexity that is involved in the supply chain and making products that are only possible to be done most efficiently and at the lowest price possible in a capitalist system, in a free market system. Let's go. This is the world we live in. If we weren't surrounded by it every day, if we didn't take it for granted, we'd be dumbstruck by its very intricacy and brilliance. This is an ordinary, familiar wooden pencil. You might think a pencil is simple. Chances are you've been using one since before you could even read or write. But just because it's familiar doesn't mean it's simple. In fact, it's complicated, elaborate, beautiful, elegant. Its very existence is too improbable for any one person to truly comprehend. These are the basic materials that go into a pencil. Graphite, cedar, metal, and rubber. But if you had all the elements of a pencil right in front of you, could you make a pencil? It's not as easy as you might think. In fact, no single person on the face of the earth could do it without the help of countless others. And this is the key to understanding the world. A pencil, just like you and me, is the end result of a vast and intricate family tree, a symphony of human activity that spans the globe. Through their work and knowledge, a vast number of people have had a hand in making this simple pencil. Unlike your family tree, this one begins with an actual tree. The most immediate ancestor of the pencil is a cedar tree in the Pacific Northwest. But the loggers who harvest the timber are also its ancestors. And these men don't work alone. They, in turn, are assisted by the people and industries that produce the saws, rope, and countless other tools that they use. These are also the ancestors of our pencil. As is the waitress at a nearby diner who sells the loggers lunch. To say nothing of the thousands of people involved in producing that simple midday meal. Across time and space, the web grows. Consider the roads, trucks, ships, communication systems, and the people who design, build, and maintain them. All of them are necessary to bring the lumber to the mills and the slat factories that process them. All of them are also the ancestors of the pencil. And even with the work of all these people, so far all we have is a stained wooden slat, a naked half of a wooden body of a pencil. But its family tree is larger and more extensive. The graphite is mined in China and Sri Lanka. At the pencil factory, it's mixed with clay and heat and other materials before it's extruded, dried, and baked in a kiln. People from different continents, different cultures, cooperate to bring these materials together with waxes and kilns and equipment from across the world. These, too, are the ancestors of the pencil. And the same is true of the eraser. 
With ingredients from around the world, it's the end result of a similarly complex and exotic branch of the family tree. As is the ferrule, the metal band made from material that is mined, refined, and shipped from all over the world. Each part of the pencil is the result of the collaboration and cooperation of millions of people. Together, they form a process that is constantly changing and adapting. A change in the availability or cost of material from one place might make another source more desirable, and the process changes and adapts fluidly. And there is a fact that's still more astounding. The absence of a mastermind, of anyone dictating these countless actions which bring a pencil into being. Each member of this family tree supplies only a small amount of the necessary know-how needed to make a pencil. They do so voluntarily, not because they necessarily want pencils or like pencils, but because by working to create them, they exchange their labor and skills for the wages to let them buy what they want and need. What you're seeing is the market at work. The spontaneous configuration of creative human energies, of millions of people with their various skills and talents, organizing voluntarily in response to human necessity and desire, as if led by an invisible hand to promote an end which was no part of the intention. Every second we are alive, we benefit from the products of voluntary, spontaneous cooperation. This is the modern world. It's miraculous, it's intricate, and it gets better every day, so long as people are free to interact with each other. If we can leave the creative energies of humankind uninhibited, there's no limit to what we can accomplish. That was originally written by uh, Leonard Reed, Foundation for Economic Education, and that production, the video, was put together by the uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute. And as you can see, if a politician or a bureaucracy steps in and says, okay, we're going to make it more difficult to produce fossil fuels. Okay, we're going to regulate something out of existence. Okay, we're going to interfere by creating a labor market uh, where you can't actually hire people because you're subsidizing unemployment and so forth. You can see the dislocation that, that occurs. It's not just a supply chain problem. It is an economic problem. And the more interference by know-nothings who have power because they're public officials, whether elected or unelected, the more interference from these people, the less products we have, the higher the prices, and more poverty is created. And even apart from iPencil, this five-and-a-half-minute audio I just played for you, we've seen it throughout the world. If central planning worked, North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba would be the wealthiest nations on the face of the earth. They're the poorest nations on the face of the earth among them. And so when we abandon the free market capitalist system, when we abandon that which works, in other words, the technology that we have developed, the things that we've invented and created, like the use of fossil fuels, in exchange for a failed ideology, this is what happens. You become poor. Your lifestyle is affected. Your family's affected. It affects what you put on the table for dinner. 
It affects how much gasoline you put in your vehicle. It affects what kind of life you're going to have. So this is serious business. And now they want to spend trillions more. Massively increase the welfare state. They want to hire 85,000 new IRS agents. They want to spy on you every time you have a $600 transaction out of your checking or savings account. No, we must reject it all. We must reject it all. Or we will cease to be the United States of America. I'll be right back. Lovin. wonderful candidate who's running for lieutenant governor of Virginia, and her name is Winsome Sears. How are you, ma'am? I'm doing well, Mark. Thank you. A good a, evening to you and to your listeners. It is a great pleasure to have you here. You're running for lieutenant governor of Virginia. Tell us what you're running on. Well, from the very beginning, Mark, I've been running on education, and apparently that's was a prescient choice because that has become the number one issue in Virginia. Folks, I tell you, if you don't realize now that school boards are important, you know, we used to just, well, poo-poo school board elections. No, they are important. They always have been because education is the future of our children and their children and their children's children. Education will pull you out of poverty. Education pulled my father out of poverty, me as well. Now, you're obviously a woman, you're African-American, so I assume the liberal media have been very supportive of you, like the Washington Post and the Richmond Times and so forth. Is that correct? <laughs> you know, I've been in this business long enough that I'm looking, if I'm looking for adoration from the media, uh, I'm going to be looking for a long time. No, no, no. They don't like me. You know why? Because I'm destroying their narrative. Uh, mm-hmm. They say that Republicans hate black people. Well, I've been black, black all my life. Mm-hmm. Say that uh, Republicans hate immigrants. Well, I was born in Jamaica. I'm not even first-generation American. Mm-hmm. I was born in Jamaica, came to America when I was six. And then, of course, I'm a woman. And so everything that they're saying that Republicans hate is who I am. And they're afraid that if there's one of me, there's more of me. And if I were them... I would be afraid because that's what's going to happen. We're going to turn a tide here in Virginia because we're going to win. And we're going to Mm -hmm. keep winning because black people are tired of the Democrats using the historical grievances that we've faced for their nefarious purposes to advance their agenda. We're tired of being used as the victim. We're done with it. We're not looking for a political savior. In fact, I already have a savior. I don't need them. We don't need them. We just need for them to get out of our way so we can do what we need to do. And that's to make our own money, to own our own businesses, for our children to have a good education. We're going to do it in Virginia, and we're going to help the rest of the country next year because we're going to show them the way. We're going to be the bulwark against this nonsense that pits us against each other, race against race, class against class. You know, Mark, they're looking for this utopia, and they accuse us of racism, racism, racism. You know what I don't see? They're not leaving. These people who talk about racism America, they're not leaving. And, in fact, people are dying at the border to get in. 
because they know if they can get a foot on American soil, the trajectory of their lives will change, just like it changed for my father when I want to thank you all for allowing him to come from Jamaica to America at the height of the civil rights movement. In fact, he came 17 days in 1963, 17 days before Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. I asked my father, why would you come then? He said, because this is where the jobs were. I said, yeah, but you came at the height of the civil rights movement. It was a bad time. He said, this is still where the opportunities were. Mark, you know how much money he had on him when he came? A dollar seventy-five, one dollar seventy-five cents, and he took any job he could find, put himself through school, started his uh, American dream, and now he's comfortably retired. And when I joined the Marine Corps, I was still a Jamaican citizen because I cared enough about this country that has done so much for my family and for me. I became a citizen, and here I am running for the second highest office. In Virginia, I want you to tell me, how am I oppressed? How am I a victim? There is no utopia. There is no country that doesn't have racism. You know why? Because racism is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem, and that means we've all got it. And if there's not racism, then there's classism. If it's not classism, it's colorism. If it's not that, it's tribalism. There's some kind of ism. I'm not leaving in America. They're not leaving America because they know America is the place to be. If you can't make it here, you can't make it anywhere. You know, Winston Sears, uh, all over the country, I guarantee you a lot of the people in the audience are saying, wow, she's unbelievable. Uh, she, she is unbelievable. You're a fantastic candidate for lieutenant governor of Virginia. Give us a little bit more background. Obviously, you came from Jamaica. You served in the Marine Corps. Tell us more. I did. I did. I became a journeyman electrician and diesel mechanic because I heard my grandfather tell the older grandchildren that a college degree is wonderful, but get a trade. And, of course, he came up during the time of the Depression, and so that's why he said that. And so I did. And, uh, but, you know, I have my degrees now. Um, I have my master's degree. But, you know, when I started college, I left, I came out of the Marine Corps, went into college. I had three children under five, and we, we beat feet. My husband took a lower-paying job so that I could make it. I put, we sold one of our cars, and I had my last baby, uh, and she, I put her on the back of, of my bicycle in a bike seat so that I could go to college. Don't talk to me about there aren't any opportunities. And then when I started my business, I did it the hard way, which is always the hard way. Nobody gave me anything. I I had a name and a phone number. I knocked on doors. I bought mailing lists, made up postcards, joined lead exchange groups, did this and this and this until my business became successful. So don't tell me, Mark, that I didn't build it. Remember that? I built it, and there Uh were nights I didn't know how. Yeah, I didn't know how I was going to pay my employees, but God never let me miss a payroll. And so then I became vice president of the State Board of Education. I mean, I want you to hear all that and say it. This is a black woman. Let me tell you something, Mark. When I look at the scores of our children in Virginia, by the time, and this is the NAEP score, this is the National Assessment of Educational Proficiency, by the time our children reach the eighth grade in Virginia, 
35% of Asian children cannot do math. It jumps to 45% for white children, 70% for Latino children. And get this, 84% of black children cannot do math by the time they're in the eighth grade, and 85% of them are functionally illiterate. They could not read the instructions on a pill bottle. And you've got a problem with me being a black Republican? No. Our children aren't learning. We need to do something. We need to create choice because choice is the best thing. When I'm in the public housing communities and I knock on those doors, those women don't tell me that they want this, this, this. They tell me our children aren't learning and we want the money so that we can decide where our children go to school. Amen. That's what it's about because we need to create generational wealth. Generational wealth is what I'm talking about. Our children need a hope and a future. And I'm an adult who can make those decisions for our children. Well, Winsome Sears, um, I wish we had more time. You sound fantastic. I think you'd be a fantastic lieutenant governor of Virginia. I hope the whole country gets behind you. If people want to support you, where do they go? Oh, the magic words. Please go to my website, winsomesears.com. Hit the donate button because we've got to get the message out. We must let everybody know that we understand that our children are in trouble. This is where it is. When we have laws that are are being made against our children, politicizing everything, you've got to be kidding me. All right. It's winsomesears.com, W-I-N-S-O-M-E, sears.com. God bless you. I'm 100% behind you. Isn't she fantastic? I'll be right back. most powerful conservative voice the mark levin show dial in now 877-381-3811 i'm still thinking about that fantastic candidate for lieutenant governor of virginia winsome sears w-i-n-s-o-m-e sears.com if you want to help her all over the country she's being heavily outspent winsome w-i-n-s-o-m-e sears.com Born in Jamaica, red-blooded American, served in the Marine Corps. Raised a family with her husband at the same time she went to college, got a master's degree, started her own business from the bottom up. Now she's running for lieutenant governor as a constitutional conservative. And this is why she gets no attention whatsoever. None. None. She is fantastic. You heard her. Absolutely fantastic. So I hope you'll give her as much support as you can possibly afford. WinsomeSears.com, W-I-N-S-O-M-E, Sears, S-E-A-R-S.com. It'll be on my social sites on Getter and on Parlor. Definitely has my vote and support. No question about that. One of the areas, if you read American Marxism, you know this, with the Marxist focus on indoctrination is in our education departments at our universities and colleges. Others too, but especially the education department, especially the journalism departments. Because these people aren't fools in the sense that they know how to influence public opinion. Now there's an educator, we don't know her name, but this was up on, the, up on uh, social media. She's supposedly an anti-racist educator and she's on a Zoom call. And um, 
Hat tip, somebody put it on Twitter. And I want you to listen to how pernicious this is. I want you to listen to how diabolical this is. And what it is they want to do to your children. And that Terry McAuliffe, and he's not alone. The clowns at MSLSD and the constipated news network, they regurgitate the same thing. You have nothing to fear, ladies and gentlemen. They're not teaching critical race theory. No, not at all. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. Something that I recognize is that I am a lot more and what would be considered aggressive than a lot of people want to be. And I don't think that it is appropriate to be tepid about this. So I don't I don't think that it's appropriate to be like, OK, well, let's also coddle this um, this hierarchy that we've created. Let's let's. Let's be beholden to these feelings, to to the attachment. Basically, what you're asking is like, let's let's take care with people who are who are attached to this white supremacy, and let's not try to wrench it from their hands too quickly. And I'm like, no, let's do that. Let's get rid of that asexually. Let's do that as quickly as possible. Let's start as early as possible, um, because all that's going to happen as you continue to ingest all of these messages, and as you continue to go through these different levels of socialization, you are going to become more resistant to the truth. You're going to become more resistant to critical thinking. So I think that. As soon as as soon as you want to in, introduce your oh, child, is she on something or something? I mean, that's how fast she talks, by the way. Go ahead. Uh, to reading and literature, period. You should be starting with picture books. You should be starting at the earliest possible to to do something to to go against what you know is going to be a deluge of negative and racist and prejudicial messaging. You know that's going to happen. You can't undo all of that at once. And so if you think about it in terms of going against the tide, you will understand exactly how much intentionality has to go into this and how much volume has to go into this. We would have to stop allowing we would have to stop allowing certain things to even be published and certain people to even be published for like a hundred years minimum before we would even make a dent. So don't be afraid that you're going to suddenly, that, that white voices are going to be excluded. And that, and that seems to be what people's concern is, is if we move too fast. Good God. Motor mouth. But listen to the racism laced throughout this. And listen to how they want to abuse your little ones. The younger, the better. And the more, the better. And the faster, the better. Get to their minds before they're indoctrinated about their country. Before they see the light. A white, dominant, white, racist society. Critical race theory. And you have these frauds in the media like Joy Reid. And you have these fraud politicians like Terry McAuliffe who tell you, oh, this isn't being taught. Are you kidding? This is being effectively beaten into the minds of little kids as well as the rest of the American Marxist agenda that I lay out in my book. This is an extraordinarily serious matter. So I wanted you to hear her. I wanted you to hear her. Because she's not alone. She's not alone. Let's go to Michelle, Perrysville, Indiana, XM Satellite. How are you, Michelle? I'm good, Mark. How are you? Very well, thank you. Enjoying your show as always. I appreciate it. Go right ahead. Um, I'm calling because uh, my son just completed basic training in the South, and I won't I won't say what base or anything because no, I right. would not want to get him in trouble. He's just joined the National Guard, but there were 120 men in his platoon, I think, and some days they only had food for 90 soldiers. 
or trainees. And he said a lot of the time we went hungry. And he said sometimes the food wasn't even cooked thoroughly. And then, of course, during their training, they were out in the swamps in Florida and Georgia. And I just, and then I read about the refugees um, coming into like Fort McCoy and Camp Atterbury here in Indiana. And how are they expecting to feed these refugees when they can't even uh, adequately feed their soldiers? So first of all, you're saying there's a food shortage. There's a food shortage at this base and potentially in the American military. We haven't even heard about this yet. And you are exactly right. Well, there's also also an employee shortage. He said that there weren't always enough people in the kitchen to cook the meals. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking, you're asking my son, and I'm proud he's in the service. My family has been defending this country since before 1776. 1619, maybe. I'm proud that he... Huh? I'm just kidding. Go right ahead. He just, you know, okay. I'm proud that he chose to do this. But also, if you're asking these people that are asking him and supported Biden and put him in in office, hmm. they're asking for all these socialist ideals and, you know. Look, look, these people hate the military. Let's be honest. They hate law enforcement. Uh, you know, they talk about a white supremacist dominant society. Uh, they'd be very happy if the system collapsed. They don't expect to go without food or clothing or shelter, and they won't. They produce nothing except carbon dioxide and methane. They contribute nothing to the betterment of this nation. They undermine our principles. They undermine our traditions and our customs. And that's who they are, and that's what they do. And they do it day in and day out, 24-7. And they have found a home in the Democrat Party, and they have found a voice in big media. And they have found uh, propagandists in the NEA and the FTR teachers' unions. This is what we're up against. And um, we're just going to have to push back, because there's tens of millions of us who reject all this, who love this country. And we're not going to roll over We're not going to be in a fetal position. We're not going to tolerate it. And I want to thank you, Michelle, and thank your son for us as well. Please don't hang up. I want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. I appreciate it. All right, let's slip another call in here if we can. Ron, Monmouth, Oregon, the great KSLM. How are you, Ron? Great, sir. I'm going to say this, and I'm a Republican. I'm in the Republican Party of Polk County out here as an alternate chairman. I'm black. I've also been on your show several times. I'm that black redneck that was raised by false parents. That had a false, uh, had a false before I, I remember you, Ron. I um, remember you. Yes. Yes, sir. And the thing is, Winston Sanders is white. Down right. And that's what I've been trying to get to my Republican Party. But the biggest problem we have, I'm in Oregon, 73 cannot meet science and math requirements. And we're less than 6% of the population in this state. Mm-hmm. And the point is, is that we got to get out of our comfort zones. we got to get out there and go in the areas. The last Republican that won in my state of large office was Dennis Richardson. You know what he did? He went to the areas that was not comfortable. you got to go just like God, just like Jeremiah, just like Jesus, just like Elijah. And you got to go in those areas and get the message, too. And Amen. All you need is a few problems that will accept. 
I agree. And Ron, you're really hammering away out there in Oregon, and we appreciate it very, very much. And uh, Winsome Sears in Virginia. I'm telling you, Virginia, you have an opportunity here. Uh, she is a superstar. And if she can get elected lieutenant governor, God knows. Sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Now, this show is international. It's heard all over the world, of course. But, I mean, American Marxism. You ready for this? It's now being published in Albania, Taiwan, Greece, Brazil, Slovakia. We're spreading the word. Albania, Taiwan, Greece, Brazil, Slovakia. Oh, and I think uh, Massachusetts. Just saying. So you folks, uh, you're leading the way. You're leading the way. It's very exciting if we can spread the word overseas. I've also requested that this book be published in the Spanish language. I'm still waiting for an answer on that because I think that would be very important as well. I really do. Get to as many people as we possibly can. All right, let's roll. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to Bryan, Front Royal, Virginia. Nice area. The great WMAL. Go. Thanks, go. Mark. I really appreciate you taking my call. Yes, Love sir. Love your book, especially Chapter 7. Thank you. Because that's what we need to do in Virginia right now with the school boards all around this state. Amen. You know, Terry McAuful, he's an ideologue, fool. I call him an ideological, ideological mm-hmm. fool because – he, he can't even define critical race theory. Oh, no, they're not teaching it in schools, yet mm-hmm. the teachers are bragging about it. And look what's going on in Loudoun County. Look what's going on in Fairfax County. That's going to be sweeping all across this state if we don't put a stop to it. And by the way, Winsome Sears, what a candidate. That was fantastic that you had her on. Everybody needs to support her. I think for sure she's going to be our next lieutenant governor, but we can't let Terry McAuful Get another term as governor in this state. He will destroy the state. He will destroy the state. He's lousy as they get. All right, Brian, good call. Don't hang up. We're going to send you an internationally available book now called American Marxism. Alexia, McLean, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Hello, Mark. Hi. Um, Hi. I just, number one, I want to thank you for everything you do. Um, you know, everything? I've been a long-time listener. Uh, well, everything that you, honestly, I've been listening to you for a long time, and thank you <laughs> thank for everything. You. And um, <laughs> I just want to say thank you for, uh, you know, Erin um, Winsome Sears. She has my support a thousand percent. Fantastic. She's what Virginia needs. And, oh, my God, yes. Um, and also, too, I haven't gotten your book yet, but I am getting it. Um, I have all of your other books. And I just want to thank you for everything. Well, Alexia, it's your lucky day. You're one of the last callers, and we have a copy just for you, American Marxism. Do not hang up. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. You still have that song, or is it over already? God, I like that song. I don't even know the name of that song. I don't even know who's singing that song. It doesn't even matter to me. I don't even know what they're saying. I just like it. 
Oh, there you go. All right. What do you think, you truckers out there? You like it? People in rush hour? I think they do like it. Oh, yeah. Better bump. Ba-da-bump. You know, people think I'm killing time. Folks, I've got a pile of stuff here. There's so much more I want to talk about. But look, we got to calm down just a little. Got to relax. Got to get into it. All right, well, it's over anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And you, you great patriots, you're the ones who are going to save this country. Thank God for each and every one of you. I'll see you tomorrow. Be well and be safe.